Hello, this is the Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. The Tribe Lagos is a gospel expression based in the city of Lagos, committed to reaching the next generation with the message of God's love and grace. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. The best thing about the prophetic is fulfillment. It's not the prophecy in itself. But we get more excited about prophecies than we do about prophetic fulfillment. We end up raising prophetic junkies whose job it is to go from church to church, platform to platform, waiting for another prophetic word or what I call a prophetic fix. And as much as I believe the prophetic is a wonderful eagerly desired, eagerly coveted area of ministry, I actually believe that we are now crossed over into a season of such prophetic fulfillment that now we have to teach you how to steward with wisdom the place that God has brought you to now. There is a time for revelation, but there is a time for wisdom. And sometimes we think revelation is the profitable thing when the Bible says wisdom is the profitable thing because wisdom helps us to transition between one season of prophecy to the next season of prophecy. In other words, wisdom bridges the gap. Ephesians talks about how God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who? In the knowledge of who? In the knowledge of me? In the knowledge of him. So all wisdom and all revelation ultimately points to him. Everything that goes on in your life today has nothing to do with you. Everything that goes on in Nigeria today has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. Every crisis, every political malfeasance, all of the corruption that's going on today has nothing to do with whether governments are good or governments are bad. Everything is about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And so we realize that Psalm chapter 2, for instance, says, why do the nations rage? Why do the heathen conspire together? In other words, there is a conspiracy. There is a global conspiracy, and it's not aliens and tinfoil hats. The conspiracy is against the Lord and his anointed one. The conspiracy is how do we remove Jesus out of every institution, including the church? How do we convince the church that we can conform them to churchianity, but not Christianity? Because it's possible to be churchy and not Christly. And we have spent years as churches, as African churches, we have spent years conforming everybody to church and no one to Christ. And somewhere along the line, God has to raise up a generation who will create change. Look at your neighbors, smile at them. Smile at them until their frowning faces turn into speculation and curiosity as to why you are frowning at them and just say why are you frowning at me and just say i don't know i don't know i'm just i just i'm just frowning at you uh, <laughs> okay i just want to change your facial structure just a little bit if that's okay 
to encourage you. Listen, we are in a season now prophetically of prophetic fulfillment, and we don't know yet how to live in prophecy fulfilled because no one has taught us, first of all, that prophecy has been fulfilled. Because if we're not careful, we'll look at this, uh, CNN and MSNBC and all of the BBCs and Channel TVs and all of those things to indicate where we are as a nation instead of looking into the one place where we can source where we are as a nation and that is in the spirit. Everywhere we are as a nation is a byproduct of the spirit. God has a different measuring line of success than we do. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, and suddenly there was a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire settled on each one of them they were running around the room on fire, speaking in tongues, and someone's wig fell off, and somebody else was rolling on the floor, and everybody was getting happy in the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the outsiders looked in and said, these men are drunk. The insiders looked out and said, no, we're Pentecostals. Peter stood up and said, no, we're not Pentecostals, neither are we drunk. Should I go home? I feel like I need to go. Should I go? It's time for bed. It's time for bed now. Father, we just bless you for this service. We thank you for this meeting that we just had. Oh. So the outsiders look in and they say they're drunk. The insiders look out and say we're Pentecostals. And Peter says, no, we're neither drunk nor are we Pentecostals. This is what Joel spoke about. Because if we're not careful, we will define the experience by the effervescence of the result and not by the intention of the author. We'll get carried away by the effects, but not by the intention. We'll look at the people rolling on the floor, and we'll look at the people running around the room, and, and it's like when we see the, the trees blowing, we say, wow, look at the wind. It's not the wind, it's the effect of the wind on the trees. When we looked to Pentecost, we said, wow, we're Pentecostals. No, that was the effect of the Holy Ghost on the church. But then we got stuck in the effect that we missed the intention. Man, I'm preaching better than you can help me right now. What was the intention of Pentecost? It was not about Pentecost. It was about Propheticost. God said in Joel, God said in Acts, this is that. And everybody needs a prophet to point to that. Otherwise, we will look at this and call it something it's not. And then we'll spend money duplicating what it's not. And then we'll raise loads of people who play Chinese whispers. Duplicating what it's never intended to be in the first place. And so all we have built for years is Pentecost, but we haven't built Propheticost. Oh, you're missing me right here. I, I feel like you guys are missing me. Well, let me explain it to you. What happened in Acts chapter 2 had already happened before. In fact, it happened in the book of 1 Kings. It happened with a man called Elijah. It says, and the Lord passed by, and there was an earthquake. And then there was a fire. And then there was a wind. But Elijah was sensitive enough to recognize that these were just the effects of him passing by. 
Oh, come on, help me preach today. This was not the intention. This was just the effect. So there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Hello. Then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Then there was a wind. What was all this? Acts chapter 2. But the Lord was not in the wind. Why? Because when the Lord passes by, we define him by the effects and not by the intention. So when he passes by, we fall over and we say, that was the Lord. No, that was the Lord passing by. What was the intention? Was it that we fall over? Was it that we be slain? Was it that we roll on the floor? Was it that we shout Jesus, Jesus a million times? Was it that, 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 that we just get healed? No, all of those things are the Lord passing by. What he wanted to impart to you all along, all this time, was the still, small voice. And if you're not careful, you'll get carried away in church that you'll miss the voice. And sometimes the music is louder than the voice. Oh, you're not hearing me. Because, because we do this to keep you awake. Because you haven't yet developed the organless anointing. You're not hearing what I'm saying. You haven't yet developed the kind of anointing that when the washing machine is going, you're hearing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because the Bible says the time is coming and now is when the true worshiper won't need a keyboard. And I'm not getting rid of this. This is great. This is wonderful. I love sound. I love worship. It promotes us into the spirit of God. But can I tell you something? You know how spiritual you are, not in church. You know when you're home. When the music stops playing and there's nobody else to impress and there's nobody else to lift your hands to and, and nobody else to parrot their tongues and their worship, that's when you begin to discover, is this thing really in me or was I just performing for Sunday? Because the Bible says the hour is coming where the true worshiper will neither worship on this mountain or in this church or in that place. Not saying that the gathering of ourselves together in one place is not mandatory. But can I tell you something? Even gathering has become traditional. You see, if you have to ask yourself, why do I need to go to church? Then church has become a tradition to you. If your Sunday becomes... Mm, we'll watch the live stream. Then church has become a tradition to you and you don't understand the importance of the gathering. You see, wisdom and revelation need to come hand in hand. It didn't say wisdom or revelation. It said wisdom and revelation because some of you think that wisdom is evades or takes away the responsibility to obey revelation. I'll give you an example. God may give you a revelation to fast for 21 days. How many of you ever heard that revelation before? Yeah, I know. So I know. So the rest of you would cast out the lying spirit. Okay, I know some of you in this house. God told you to go on a fast, and all of a sudden, somebody called you, and it's your pastor—not this pastor, but maybe your neighbor's pastor—called you, and they told you, "Hey, be wise." Oh no, no, you, 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 you have work on Monday. Be wise. You have the school run to do. 
be wise. And you don't realize that wisdom is not there to take away the responsibility of revelation. Wisdom is there to find a wise way to perpetrate and execute revelation, not to compromise on it. And so we've raised a generation that compromise on revelation through wisdom. When the Bible says, I didn't say wisdom or revelation, I said wisdom and revelation. Revelation will tell you what to do. Wisdom will tell you how to do it. And we need both. We need both. Because I've seen people give people prophetic words without wisdom. I've seen people prophesy to uh, people in power. I was at the UN and I saw somebody prophesy to an ambassador like they would to one of their church members. I looked at them and I said, even if your revelation was right, your execution was terrible. Because you lacked wisdom. Who do you think you're talking to like that? That's a leader of the nation. Well, I'm a prophet. I can't compromise on, on how I... No, that's style. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can all compromise on our style. Oh, come on now. We can all do that. Amen? When it comes to the truth of the word of God, we have to apply wisdom and revelation. Why does God release the prophetic? Ultimately, Amos chapter 3 verse 7 tells us why. Because the Lord does nothing. The Lord does nothing. I'll say it again. The Lord does nothing. Look at the person next to you and say nothing. Say nada. Zilch. Zero. The Lord does nothing without revealing the secret to his servant, the prophets. And so, therefore, people ask ourselves, did God do it because somebody revealed it? Or does somebody reveal it, then God does it? God never takes action, even if he wants to take action, without revelation. So revelation is not the same thing as explanation. Oh, help me with this, Jesus. Help me find a living church today. I'll, I'll come to it. Revelation is not the same thing as explanation. God is not obligated to explain to you the semantics of what he's getting ready to do. He is obligated to explain to you what he's getting ready to do. But he is not obligated to explain to you the semantics of how he's going to do it. So if you ask him for an explanation, he might do you like he did Zacchaeus and shut your mouth until the baby's born. Because he is not obligated to give you an explanation. He is obligated to give you a revelation. Because if he gives you an explanation, you'll never go. If he gives you the fine details of where you are going, you will never go because he'll tell you, by the way, you're going to meet Potiphar's wife, then you're going to get accused of rape by her, and then you're going to get thrown in a jail, and then you're going to be there for some years, you're going to get really depressed, chronic depression, in fact, you're going to feel suicidal, then you're going to meet somebody who gets the promotion that you've been longing for, you're going to tell them to remember you when they get the job promotion, and you prophesied them into that job promotion, then they're going to forget your behind in that oh you're not hearing what I'm saying because if God were to give you an explanation you'd never go 
So God is only obligated to give you a revelation. And so if you're looking tonight for clarity, the prophetic is the wrong place. Because the Bible says about the prophetic, we behold in part. We see in part. Even me sees in part. He said, oh man, he read my whole life. Tell me, he read my whole life. No, I didn't. I just read the part that God showed me. I don't know. You know, when Jesus meets the Samaritan, people have these assumptions of prophets. They know everything. Be careful. They know everything. (laughs) Repent of your sins. They know everything. No. We only know what God reveals. That's why Elijah said, God didn't reveal this thing to me. Because we only know what God reveals. We only know what he chooses to tell us. And so Jesus meets a woman and says, you've been married five times. The one you're living with isn't your husband. She goes, come meet a man who told me everything. No, he only told you one thing. But we have an assumption about the prophetic that somehow the prophetic knows everything. And they're a special group of people that don't need to live by faith. We need to live by faith just as much as you do. Because we see in part, we behold in part, and we know in part. All of us. Prophets just have a bigger part, but everybody gets a part. Everybody gets a piece. Everybody gets a piece. The least person gets a piece. Everybody gets a piece. Anybody who claims to have the whole picture, run away from them. They're a cult. Anybody who claims, oh, stay with us. We have the whole thing. Don't go to their church. We have the whole. Run, forest, run. That is a cult. God says to Abraham, get out of your father's house. He says, where are we going? To a place I'll show you. Where? I'll show you when you get there. Moses says to God, who should I say that you are? Say I am. I am what? I am who I am. (laughs) This is how God deals with prophets. If you think this is about, oh, we see clearly. No! We see just as much in part as you see in part. But hopefully with my part and your part, we can join them together and and make a whole. Or make something a little bit clearer. The only day your prophetic picture becomes clear in the season of fulfillment. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. The only day you know what your prophecy meant is the day it gets fulfilled. That's it. For the light of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. The perfect day is called fulfillment. Joseph said, now I see that what the enemy meant for harm, God meant it for good. I get it now. I didn't see it before because I was living in it, but now I'm in the fulfillment of it. I can look back with introspection. And I can say, oh, this was all intended for good. Because Romans 8.28 says God will make all things work together for, not for your good. See, this is where we get it wrong. We don't read the Bible. God's not working it out for your good. I know, I know my friend sung the song, all things are working for my good. No, they're not. All things are working for good. Not your good, good. Oh, uh, oh, I'm going to mess you up. All things are working for good.
to them that love him and accord according to his purpose. Not my purpose, his purpose. That's why some of you need to realize the devil isn't resisting you. God is resisting you. He's resisting your purpose. Because somebody told you you were going to be great. And somebody told you you were going to be awesome. But can I tell you something? For every one of you that has a ministry or a calling or a business, unless you are willing to sacrifice that business and watch it die, God will never give it to you. God will give you an Isaac and tell you to kill it. See, African stairs. <laughs> God will give you an Isaac and then he'll say, kill it. Now, me and Freddie are talking. We're talking about working together and collaborating and we're talking about different names for what's it going to be named. I don't care what it's going to be named because I've killed enough Isaacs in my lifetime that whatever God wants from me, I'm willing to kill it. It doesn't have to have my name on it. It doesn't have to have my surname on it. It doesn't have to have me on the front line because God will give you an Isaac and he'll tell you to kill it because he knows killing it is the only way for you to die. God wasn't killing Isaac. He was killing Abraham. Who am I talking to today? God, God is trying to beat you up. Oh, that's not theology? God beat Jacob up. God is trying to wrestle you because your ideas are too important for the nation. You would rather your idea comes to pass than the nation gets blessed. And that's what got your fathers planting the churches they planted. That's what God is building Babel instead of Bethel. Is we have people who are more concerned about building a name for themselves than a name for him. And so what is God doing in this generation? He's saying, I'm going to give you a vision and I'm going to tell you to kill it. And I'm going to ask you to believe me that I can raise it up again. I wish I had a church in here that could help me preach this. Listen, so God says to Joseph, he says, hey, Joseph, let me show you this dream. And he shows him this dream. And he's this amazing guy, this guy that the moon and the stars are bowing down to him. Moon and stars, wow, bowing down to him. And he, he like, wow, I am, I'm amazing. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the new male Beyonce. I, I just got it. I'm, I'm ready. And he's gay. the next day he wears this technicolored coat and, and he's just walking around in it. And he's just like, I'm, I'm amazing. You guys are supposed to bow down to me. And, you know, people say to me, you know, they say, tell me, I, I hear preachers say this, and I was guilty of saying this. I was guilty of saying this, that, that Joseph shouldn't have shared his dreams. The thing that got Joseph in trouble was he shared his dreams with the wrong people. And then one day I got corrected. How else would Joseph have reached his destiny if he didn't share his dreams with the wrong people? Because the thing about our God is he will make all things work together. Even the people you shouldn't have told. God's going to make it work together for good. So God used the people who were there to kill his dream to launch him into his destiny. 
But if Joseph was measuring his success by his situation, Joseph would have got depressed chronically and said, my family abandoned me. My brothers tried to murder me. I was accused of rape. I was in a prison for years. I was forgotten. People always got the promotion that I wanted in the job place. He would have looked at it from his situation instead of from his revelation. Because the revelation tells me that the Bible says that God put Joseph in the prison. If you read it, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, he sent a man before him, even Joseph, who was sold for a slave. Who sent him? God did. Where did I see God sent him in the book of Genesis? His brother sent him. That's not, that's the situation. The revelation is God sent him. The situation says he was accused of rape. The revelation, according to the book of Psalms, says, and God held him in the prison until his prophecy came to pass. The word of the Lord tried Joseph. What does it mean for the word to try you? You see, prophecy is that which we use to wage a good warfare. But what we don't realize about prophecy is it is a double-edged sword. It fights the enemy, but it also fights the inner me. And so what happens is in my prison season, I beg God and I cry to him, right? Are we about to cast out a lying spirit again? Am I right? We cry and we cry thing, all by myself, don't want to be all by myself anymore, anymore. And we get so depressed. And maybe we go back to drinking or smoking or doing drugs or dating the jar fool that God delivered us from. We do all those things. Why? Because we're in a prison. And anytime you're in a prison, you're like Peter. Remember what Peter said when Jesus died? He said, guys, I'm going fishing. Because in a world where everything is changing, we naturally revert back to the one thing that never changed. So some of us are living habitually in sin because our world is changing and we don't recognize the climate, but we remember what made us comfortable. So we go back to our comfortable sin and our comfortable fishing line and the thing that we used to do because we're in a prison and we're begging God to lift us out of the prison. And then we come to meetings like this because we're in a prison and we're hoping somebody will prophesy to us. But you don't realize that your prison season is not so somebody can give you a prophecy. Your prison season is so that you can give somebody a prophecy because in your prison, if you will learn to transition between receiving to giving, all of a sudden you might prophesy to the very person who's supposed to remember I don't know I don't know maybe maybe God is trying to teach you something in your prison that you're not learning yet and you're trying to manipulate your season to change by coming to this meeting and God's like I'm going to keep you in that prison longer because it's part of my strategy to develop you Because we think prophecy mitigates process. I'll preach with your African faces staring at me. I'm still going to preach. 
We think prophecy mitigates process. So we think if somebody's going to prophesy to me, I might get out of my process. But let me tell you the greatest prophecy Jesus ever gave to Peter. He said, Peter, Peter, the enemy came to me last night. And he's asking for you. He goes, really? He says, yes. He, I got a word of knowledge. He's trying to sift you to me. He says, really, really? He said, but I prayed for you. He said, you pray for me? Why are you praying? He said, he said I prayed that when you've gone through all hell, he didn't say, I pray that God would deliver you. I prophesy to you. God's taking you out. You're coming out. You're coming into your new season. It's changing. God's turning around. Turn around three times. Tell the Lord now. No. He said, Peter, I prayed for you. That your faith fails not. That regardless of what you're going through, you don't lose your faith. I'm not praying you out of your situation because you need your situation. You need this prison. You need this jail cell. Can I tell you why Joseph needed the jail cell? Just like he needed Potiphar's house, he needed the prison. Because a day was coming where he would interpret the dream of a king. And the king would look at him and tell him, wow, that's an amazing revelation, but what must we do? <sighs> Did you hear this? You see, the nation is hungry for wisdom. Not just your Oh, I saw you in the spirit. And you look like a green dragon flying around you. And the Lord is saying, I'm getting... No, he's like, wisdom. I got your revelation, but how does that fix my economy? Because all them are looking for out there is can you fix my economy? I'll know you're Jesus if you can fix my economy. I want to know you're Jesus if you can help me get all these Lagosians into employment. I want to know you're Jesus when you can give me a solution. Not a revelation, a solution. And so it's in your prison. It's in your prison that you learn divine strategies. Because in Potiphar's house, you had a lot. In prison, you have a little. And so I can imagine when Joseph got to Pharaoh, he said, well, when I was in Potiphar's house, I had a big budget. When I was in the prison, I had a tiny budget. I wonder maybe that in the seven years of plenty, you might want to store something up for the seven years of lack. For had not Joseph been through seven years of lack, he never would have known how to bring nation out of its season of lack. God is developing wisdom in your prison. And if he delivers you out of it too early, he will deliver you from the capacity to perform when necessary. I know I may only preach to five people today, but that's okay. Wisdom and revelation.
But we got revelation junkies in the church. More revelation. Just revelation junkies. Everybody wants a prophecy, 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 prophecy. But nobody wants wisdom. And the Bible says when wisdom sees you, it will laugh at you. Because it was standing at the crossroads saying, here I am. Turn in here. Listen to me. I will show you wise things. I cry out to the simple person. I say, person, learn of me and be wise. Because wisdom will help you get from one season to the next season. And some of you can only learn wisdom in your prison season. There are things that you can only learn in a prison. You know, why is it? Nigeria. 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 Oh, Nigeria. Nigeria is practically the wealthiest nation I've ever seen. I've traveled the world. And I've never seen a nation wealthier than Nigeria. I mean, one man having billions of dollars? I went to Banana Island. I saw houses there. I thought I was in Dubai. I was like, what are we doing here? Is this Dubai? No, this is Nigeria. I was confused. I said, God, how can this nation have so many resources and so many poor people? And then the Lord said this, is it possible that you've become so over-resourced that you've become under-resourceful? Why would God, why would God? Just ponder with me for a second. Let's meditate together. God gives Israel all of the wealth of Egypt overnight. Slaves become multimillionaires. Kunta Kente starts driving a Cadillac overnight. Just like that. No process. Slaves, wealthy. They plundered Egypt. Egypt had two big banks, Pithom and Ramesses. They plundered the gold of Pithom and Ramesses and put it on the children of Israel overnight. And then they were led out. And they're saying, hey God, where are we going? Where are we going with all this wealth? Are we going to Dubai? Are we going to buy some Gucci? Some Prada? Hey, Karaba Prada. I can imagine their tongues just changing as they're anticipating where God is taking them. And God takes them to a wilderness. What good is wealth in a wilderness. They got so bored with all of that wealth, they built a cow to worship it. Because they, they couldn't buy food, so God made bread fall out of the sky. They couldn't buy meat, so God made meat come out of the sky. So here they are with all this gold, and they're like, we, we have no use for this. There are no banks, there are no merchants, there are no traders, there are no marketplaces. Their shoes never wore out, so they didn't need to buy new Nike shoes. Nothing. 
Everything was provided. So God, why do we need this gold? And God says this. God finally answers them. And he says, I led you through a wilderness. That means there was intentionality with the wilderness. And when you read Deuteronomy, actually, the Bible says the journey from Egypt to Canaan is 11 days. How come an 11-day journey took 40 years? Can I tell you why? Complaining. Complaining. The Bible says, and they grumbled. And God said, 40 years. Oh, yeah. Every time you complain about your prison season, you set back your destiny 40 years. Who's ready to repent? Every time you look at your prison, you go, oh, it's so terrible. I'm getting so depressed. Oh, God, why? Oh, God, why have you abandoned me? You've left me. You've left me. I don't know. I don't know. It's terrible. And you sit around people and you go, oh, you too. You're going through terrible things. Yeah, me too. Oh, your husband too. Yeah, my husband too. Oh, your, your wife is crazy too. Yeah, my wife is crazy too. Oh, my goodness. Everything's just crazy. I just don't know what's going on. The finances are crazy. The kids are crazy. I'm just depressed. We're just getting ready to have a divorce. We're right at the end of ourselves. Because, like, Counting backwards. Why? Because God will hold you longer until you learn the lesson of the wilderness. Look at this. I led you through a desert, he says, and I fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers longed for. And then he went a step further, and I starved you. I starved you? Read it. It's in your Bible. And I starved you that I might show you. Man does not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the, from where? From where? The mouth of God. Not the book. Not the book. I'm going to shock you with this statement. The book cannot bless you. I'll lose half the church. Tribe is going home today. They're like, heathen, you brought this heathen from the UK. The book does not bless you. A preacher cannot bless you. A book you buy from a bookstore cannot bless you. The Bible in itself comes from a word meaning bibliography. That's why it's called Bible, bibliography. The bibliographies of people's lives cannot bless you in themselves. Let me help you. Faith comes by reading. Look at this. Faith comes listening you can listen tonight and not be blessed the boss says the word which heard did not bless them not being mixed with faith you can hear a word and it not bless you if you don't come with faith what is faith faith is the 
substance. And I shared something different yesterday, so I'm going to share something different today. Sub meaning under. That's where we get the word submarine, underwater. Faith is the sub, under, stance, standing. Watch this. Faith is understanding what I hope for. If you hear the word, but you don't understand the word, it will not bless you. That's why Bible says some seed fell on the ground and it didn't go deep because they understood it not. If you hear word that you don't understand, the birds of the air will come and they'll take it away. This is why most Christians don't understand why they're not progressing. You're not progressing because you're too busy listening to preachers. You're too busy buying the best-selling book by Joel Osteen. You're too busy buying Each Sleep Prophesy Repeat by Tell Me Arimi. Buy the book. Read the book. Don't get me wrong, but it's only going to be second-hand information, and second-hand information cannot bless you. It can provoke you. It can excite you, but it cannot ignite you. What ignites you is truth you receive as first-hand revelation. Watch this. So Jesus comes to his disciples. He said, who do people say I am? And some said, well, I read somewhere you're a prophet. Somebody told me you're John the Baptist. Returned. I read somewhere that the, the Bible says Elijah's coming back and maybe you're Elijah. Somebody may have said, hey, I heard some demons say that you're, you're the son of God. He said, Peter, what about you? And Peter said the same thing the demon said. I looked at it and I said, why is Jesus excited? Jesus said, Peter said the same thing devil said. We know who you are, Jesus, son of God. Everybody said it. Why was Jesus excited? He said, blessed are you. Did you hear it? He said, now this word will bless you. Because you're not speaking hearsay. Uh, you're not speaking something you heard a preacher preach. So flesh and blood didn't give this to you. You see, Nigeria, we have turned our preachers into celebrities. And we haven't understood the only celebrity is the Holy Ghost. And we have a teacher in us called the Holy Ghost that teaches us all things that we should know. That means you should come to a preacher to hear the word, but you should go home and study it until it becomes your truth. Until you hear it from his mouth. The only words that bless you are words that come from his mouth. So they're casting out demons. Peter is trying to be Benny Hinn. He says, touch. The demon doesn't go. Thomas is trying to be T.D. Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. 
Judas is trying to be Joel Osteen. Oh, God, we just love this demon out. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's doing their thing. Trying to get this demon out by mimicking a style and a method. And Jesus says, Shh, come out. And they're sweating. One of them was trying to be an African preacher and go, vomit in the bucket. Vomit today. Yes. Let the flame begin to flow. <laughs> Jesus comes and goes, shh, get out of there. Come on, hit the road, Jack. And they look at him and they say, how, how is it that we were not able to cast this devil out. We did everything you did. We said it just like you said it. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because you have so little understanding. Then he says, if you have understanding the size of a mustard seed. In other words, he's saying, your, your understanding is so small. It's not even the size of a mustard seed. He said, if your understanding was at the depth of a mustard seed, you would say to mountains, if you understood this book by my mouth, because can I tell you something? God is the author of the book. But the word of God won't bless you. It's only the God who speaks that word that will bless you. So he says, hey, hey. He says, if you have faith, the understanding sign of mustard, you say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be moved for you. Let me give you another example. Jesus meets a centurion, and the centurion says, hey, hey, hey. Uh, Jesus, come. My, my, my servant is sick. He says, okay, take me to him. He says, no, 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 no. I'm not fit to have you come under my roof. He says, I know this because I'm also a man of authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. And to this, my servant, do this, and he does it. Just say the word from where you are, and one of your angels will do the job for you. Watch this. And Jesus marveled at his understanding. Because what is faith? Faith is the ability to explain to God how he's going to be God. Faith is the ability to explain to God how he's going to be God. I'll give you an example. Faith doesn't just take you to the words of God. Faith takes you to the thought and the intention of the author when he spoke the word. So faith is the ability to think about the process of life at the mind level of Christ. That means everything you go through, you no longer see enemies, you see opportunities. Everybody else sees Goliath, but you see your crown. You start saying, what will happen to the person who defeats this guy? He said, oh, he'll have the king's daughter for a wife. And, and then you'll remember a prophecy that somebody gave you that one day you were going to be a king. And you'll say, well, I wonder if a prince is the positioning. Yes. Oh, you're not hearing this. Yes. 
I wonder if getting in the vicinity and being a prince will launch me one day into the kingdom. <laughs> because faith is the capacity to think at the understanding level of the author of the book. When you get this paradigm, you're no longer depressed. You know, people talk about me. Do you know, I had a man who worked for me. I just fired him four days ago. Now the Bible says Satan is the prince of darkness. Darkness actually means ignorance. Ignorance means stupid. So Satan is the first stupid. <laughs> this guy was, anyway, I'm going to leave that alone. Okay. So I must fire this. I fired this guy. And the reason I fired this guy was because he, he didn't show up to work. Then he called me to explain to me why he doesn't need to show up for work. And he was explaining to me that actually it would be better for him if I, as his boss, just leave him alone to do what he wants to do. And then by the time he's done, he'll come to me with what he's done and then tell me uh, what, ask me my opinion about it. Now, I had an opinion that I was his boss. And I was paying his check and keeping his lights on. So in my opinion, I said, well, um, you'll do what I ask you to do or uh, you can hit the road. And so then he responded and I was, he responded, hey, now you're going to ask, now, now are you telling me how to do my job? And then my PA was looking at me like you all looking at me, like why are you continuing this phone call? And I continued, but I was really calm. I was so surprisingly calm. I just kept hearing the Holy Spirit saying, stay calm, stay calm. Have you ever heard the Holy Ghost say, just stay calm? And when he says it, it just calms you. I could feel myself sinking in to myself. And I was the calmest version of me. I was like, I was like oh, sir, okay. Um, well, just explain to me why you think that's appropriate for you to talk to me like that. And he said, well, it's appropriate because I'm doing all this work for you and I'm working by myself. I said, so just explain to me, because I've hired you to film, who's going to do the filming today? He says, you're going to do it. Now, my PA again is looking at me and she's a Welsh lady. And Welsh people are like Africans in the UK. They're tough. So she's like, kill him, kill him. So I'm staying calm. I'm like, oh, I said, I don't know who you've worked for before, but that's not how it works. And, you know, I, I, I'd love to show you if you come into my office, we can sit down together and I can, I can help you. But if you don't come in today, uh, then you can go home. This is not me, by the way. This is not like me. Okay. And then all of a sudden, he hangs up the phone. Pah! You know, pah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how my sister looked at me as well. She was like, he hung up. I said, yeah, write him a letter of termination and just say thank you so much and just write him a check as a severance check just to say goodbye and God bless you. So we did. We sent him a final check. We wrote, this is, this is not me, okay? Me, old me, hey, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's all me, okay. So new me is like, okay, okay, okay. New me is like, okay, okay. You know I mean? It's like, okay, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Write him a letter, send him a check, final check. Let's let him go with honor and dignity, you know? We did. The next day, I met one of his friends in town, and she comes to me, she goes, she says, Apostle Tommy, well done. Well done. I said, what? She said, I listened to the recording. I said, 
I said, what recording? This is just before I came here, the night before my flight. She said, he was recording the whole conversation and he was trying to provoke you so he could put you on Facebook. some diabolical people in this earth. Now I can only imagine what would have happened. Nigerian Tommy came to play. I can only imagine what would have happened if the African bishop rose in me. <laughs> but are you hearing what I'm saying? I have people that talk about me. I have people that hate me. I have people that can't wait to see me fall. I, my, you know, when you get videos that go past 100,000 views, you know, you get the crazies come out. I had somebody just write me a comment saying, drop dead, uh, uh, use something, blanky blank. And, you know, I just, I just left it. My, my wife was furious. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I said, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. This is good news. She said, what are you talking about? I remember one time a bishop, a whole bishop. I won't tell you his name. You'll know him. A whole bishop went around for three years, a whole bishop, three years, telling every person that had invited me to their church that I had got five girls pregnant and I was secretly paying child support on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, a whole bishop. No, when I say a whole bishop, I mean a very well-known, prominent man of God whose name I shall not mention. Three years carried this. Three years, my whole schedule went to zero because he asked me, he told me, I want to be your spiritual father. I said, no, sir, I'm already covered. And the next day, bam, three years. Three years I had to ride with that. But if I saw it according to Tommy, my reputation. And let me tell you something. One day I did. This is what I did to God. I went to the presence of God. You know, you play the sad music in your head. <laughs> Even your cry is, is pitiful. <laughs> and the, the tears were joining the snot. <laughs> God, no. You said my enemies will not prosper. <laughs> and you know, you start going between the David praise and the Jesus praise. You know what I'm talking about? You start going, kill them. No, no, no. Have mercy on them. No. Let them die. No, I pray for them and I bless them. You know, you haven't gone through anything until you go from David to Jesus prayers. Okay. So I was going David to Jesus, David to Jesus, and then finally back to Jesus. And, and one day I'm crying to God. I said, God but they've ruined me. They've ruined my reputation. And I'll never forget what the Lord said to me. He said, Tommy, I didn't lose my reputation so you could keep yours. Three years I went through hell. I had people show up at my church to kill me. I had five cars storm into my church looking for me to kill me. And they weren't worldly people. These were gangster Christians because of the rumors got so bad. Shut down the ministry, shut down the doors, 
shut down the nation. I had to get a job in a town called Coventry. Who knows Coventry? <laughs> Literally, for three years, I was selling cars. And one day was all it took for God to restore the ministry. One day. Because God will give you a dream, he'll give you an assignment, he'll give you a calling, and then he'll kill it right in front of you. And he won't even be the one that draws the blade. He'll ask you to draw the blade. It's called offering your body a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice means that it's still screaming as it's dying. But it's acceptable. Because I tell you, the man I am today is because of my prison. The man I am today is because I stopped caring what people thought about me. The man I am today is because I stopped caring what people said about me. Because Tommy died in that season. And there are preachers today who have never gone through a process because somebody paid them or prophesied them out of their season. Somebody gave them a quick job and a quick fix to get them out of the place that they were in. And they finally got to the place where they're planting big ministry, big church, big platforms. And some of the biggest churches in Nigeria today are just big, giant orphanages. Fatherless leaders raising fatherless children. Often spirited people who are competing for the biggest church, the biggest ministry, the biggest name, because nobody killed them. I tell every one of you this. My time is up and I really wanted to share on something today, but I'll share on it tomorrow. I wanted to drop, I wanted to, huh? Let me just be very quick then. Because not everybody agrees with your sentiment. I can tell you that right now. I don't need to be a prophet to know that they're thinking, hey, why did he talk? <laughs> Let me just say one thing very quickly. The season Nigeria is in right now is a season I call the other age generation. You are now of age. And when the crippled man got healed and the Pharisee said, who healed him to his parents? His parents said, ask him. He is of age. The word there is the word teleos. It's the same word in Ephesians where it says until we all come to maturity. Same word in Corinthians when Paul said, once I was a child, I thought like one, I reasoned like one, but now I am a teleos. Now I am a man. Now I have grown into maturity. I am done with childish things. You are now in a season of maturity. You are now in a season of leadership. Most of you, who here is a, is a parent? Wave at me if you're a parent. See, a lot of you here are parents. And you, you're probably looking at your kids and thinking to yourself, how on earth did I become a parent? How did that happen? You see a little child running around, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm a parent now. 
And now people are calling you auntie and uncle, and you're like, yeah, I'm legit auntie. I, I don't even dress cool anymore. I'm wearing sandals and socks. What's happened to me? You're a parent now. How many of you married now? Who's married? Look at you. See, you're married now. Who here's got a business? See, you're running businesses now. Who, who here's planting churches? See, you're planting churches now. You're now of age. The fruit has ripened. The season has come. You are in your season of operation, and nobody's taught you how to live in prophetic fulfillment, and revelation and prophecy doesn't teach you how to live in fulfillment. Wisdom does. So let me tell you the wisdom that you guys are going to need that I promise you is going to bless you for the next 20 years of your life. And I say 20 years very deliberately. It's going to bless you for the next 20 years of your life. Are you ready for it? Are you really ready? If you buy my CD later on, it will share all the secrets. Thank you for everybody. Actually, I'm being serious. Download my app, by the way. I'm being very serious. Who here is on my app? Wave at me if you're Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay, good. If you're not on my app, wave at me. You're not on my app, wave at me. Download my app now. Order. Go to the App Store, Android, Apple App Store, and search my name, Tommy Arayami, and download the app. I'm telling you, there's some prophetic training on there, some discipleship on there, some midnight prayer on there. You'll get push notifications so much. It will help you in your prison season. I promise you. If you're in a prison, download my app. Okay? Don't, you don't have to follow me on Instagram. Just download my app. Trust me. It's a social media community app, and it's awesome, and... And, and you'll be blessed. But let me tell you the secret here. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Follow the law. Break the rules. Follow the law. Break the rules. Who here wants to be a leader? Wave at me. Only if you want to be a leader. If you, if you want to be a follower, keep your hand down. See, everybody, some of you are like, I, I kind of want to be a, a, a foliar, a foliar. I want to be a foliar. Okay. Who here wants to be a leader? Everybody should want to be a leader. And everybody's a follower of somebody, by the way. But everybody should want to be a leader. You want to be a leader, just wave your hands in the sky for me. I'm going to teach you the secret to leadership. The secret to leadership is find a rule worth breaking and break it. Leaders are not great talkers. Otherwise, God would have never have chosen Moses. Leaders are not big orators. Otherwise, God wouldn't have chosen Paul, who they said in speech he's boring, but in presence he's strong. Leaders are those who find a rule worth breaking, and they break it. The sure way to failure in life the sure way to failure in life is to follow the rules. That's why I like Ferdy. Me and Ferdy, we, we get along. His wife knows this is a rule breaker. He's a rule breaker. I like rule breakers. Everybody, if you want to know who I spend time eating my breakfast, lunch, and dinner with, it's rule breakers, not conformers. Because let me tell you something, even a dead fish can go with the flow. 
You want to be a leader? You want to be, you want to prove that you're of age? Break the rules. Find a rule worth breaking and breaking. I'm going to give you an example of this very quickly. Follow the law. Repeat after me. Follow the law. Break the rules. Look at your neighbor and say, follow the law. Look at your neighbor. Say, follow the law. Break the rules. Follow the law and break the rules. Your parents taught you wrongly. They taught you to follow the rules. And you followed all the rules. They told you, you must go to and get a good. Then you must graduate with. Then you must go to. And then you must. Graduate. Get a job. Then get married. Settle down. Settle down. Have, have children. Children, not children. Children. They taught you wrong. They taught you how to follow the rules. And that's why you're frustrated. Because the, the game always changes every 20 years. And the rules that apply 20 years ago no longer apply today. And if you live your life following the rules, you will never be successful because the only way to succeed, the Bible says, is to follow the law. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth, but you shall meditate day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have a good success. That means there is such thing as a bad success. You can graduate and be a doctor and nobody's hiring you. You can graduate and be a lawyer and have bad success because there's no more jobs in the legal field. Somebody told you to follow the rules. And because you followed the rules, you got to success, but you didn't get to good success. The leader, you follow the law. The laws. Good question, sir. I'm going to explain it to you. Come here with me into the back room and we'll talk. We'll leave these guys. They don't need to hear this truth. I like hunger. I like hunger. Let me tell you how. Laws, the difference between laws and rules is laws are necessary. Laws are mandatory. Laws can be violated, but they have consequences for violating them. Rules don't have consequences for violating them. Laws do. In fact, embedded in the violation of laws is the self-fulfilling consequence. With rules, the only consequence of breaking rules are man-constructed peer pressures. 
But when you break laws, within the very laws that you break, called consequences. Are you hearing what I'm saying so far? Laws, embedded within laws, are consequences for violating them. Laws are there, therefore, for your protection and for your success. Because of laws, God doesn't need to kill you. If a fish, the law of the fish is the water. It's a law. Fish, law, water. It's not a rule. Hello? It's a law. Stay in the water. Stay in the water, you'll thrive. Leave the water, you'll die. Simple principle. If the fish one day were to leave the water, like evolutionists dumbly believe, and it were, what would happen? It would die. Now, if you walk by the fish, would you say, oh, look what God did to that fish. Oh, God, this is wicked. You killed the fish. God didn't kill the fish. The fish broke the law. So the law broke the fish. Are you hearing this? People think laws are no longer necessary because we're under Christ. No, the only law that Christ came to fulfill was the law of sin and death. Every other law must be followed. Don't believe me? Jump out of this building. There's a law called gravity. Somebody figured it out one day. If I leave this building today without a parachute or something to hold me up, gravity will kill me. God didn't kill me. Hello? I broke the law, so the law broke me. Are you following what I'm saying? This is why Satan tried to get Jesus to break laws. So throw yourself off here. Come on. Throw yourself. What's he trying to do? He's trying to make him question God's laws. You see, you can't violate the law and ask God for a miracle. Somebody said to me one day, they said, oh, he said, man of God, I'm going through so many problems. I said, what's wrong? They said, you see, it all started uh, with me and my girlfriend. All we do is argue all the time. And every night and every morning when we wake up next to each other, we argue. I looked, I said, rewind. What did you say? I said, every night and every morning when we wake up, we argue. I said, then I said, what do you want from me? They said, I want prayer. I said, I'm not praying for you. I said, why? I said, I don't anoint rebellion. You can't break laws and then ask God for miracles. Are you following what I'm saying? Because embedded in every law is a self-fulfilling prophecy called consequence. God doesn't need to kill you. The law will judge you. That's why I said, I don't need to judge you. The word's already judging you. Because God's word is God's law. You break his word, you break his law, and his law breaks you. He doesn't need to do anything. Are you with me? The law of the plant is the soil. The plant should say to the soil one day, oh, I don't need you anymore, and just pull itself out. God didn't kill the plant. The plant broke the law. So the law broke the plant. 
The bird leaves the sky. God didn't kill the, sky, the, the bird. The bird broke the law, and the law broke the bird. You see, it's interesting. God creates an environment, then he creates the thing that's supposed to live in. But he always creates the environment first. And then between the environment and the entity, he creates a law. And a law is a codependency that without this thing existing in your life, you'll die. So before he created the sky, the bird, he created the sky. Before he created the, the, the fish, he created the sea. Before he created the plants, he created the soil. Before he created you, he created his presence. And he said, if you leave this Eden, you'll die. God didn't kill Adam. Adam broke the law. The law broke Adam. Laws are necessary for your success. So a wise man once said this, you know, for, there are people who think, yeah, you know, uh, tell me, can you come pray for this person that they can be saved so I can marry them? I had somebody ask me to do that once. <laughs> pray for them, spend time with them, then they'll get saved, they'll get born again. And you know, because, you know, that six pack needs to get born again. And then we can get married and we'll live happily ever after. And I said, I can't do that. And they said, well, I'm just going to marry them anyway. You see, the thing is, birds and fishes can get married. But where are they going to live? One day the fish will say to the bird, I come up here. I mean, the birds will say to the fish, come up here and live with me. And the bird will come up to the air with the fish and say, this isn't working. <laughs> and the fish says to the bird, hey, come down here and live with me. Says, okay, well, I kind of look like I have fins. <laughs> Comes down and goes, this isn't working. Because they break in the law. The danger of our generation happens in religion. Religion is what happens when people pass off rules as laws. Once that happens, we reach a place above religion called tradition. Tradition is what happens when what happened in one generation gets traded off lazily to another generation. And they begin to practice the same rule as if it were a law. Am I speaking to Nigeria? Starts off as religion, then it gets passed to another generation, and then it goes into tradition. And the deeper it goes into generations, usually in the Bible, you'll see it will go to four generations, then God will raise a prophet. And every time he raises a prophet, the prophet is there to say, I'm breaking the tradition. I'm breaking the rules. So Jesus shows up to the house one day and they get him pounded jam and fufu. And he's there. And the Pharisees are looking at him. Disgusting. Disgusting. And he's just eating. And they're looking and they're going, why doesn't he wash his hands? According to our traditions, 
You must wash your hands before you eat. And as Jesus is eating, he's like, you guys are snakes. <laughs> it's like, Peter, pass the pizza. Pizza, pizza. He goes, <clears throat> you guys travel far and wide to win one convert. You turn him into twice the son of you guys are. Hey, 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 pass the salt. Pass the salt. And he goes, he goes, you forsake the law of God for the sake of your rules and your tradition. And thus you make the word of God of no effect. Because the danger hits us. Tribe, listen to me. When I say you're the closest thing in, in Nigeria to the new, I don't mean you're there. I mean you're close. The problem is some of us who are calling ourselves new are calling ourselves new because we're now wearing skinny jeans. Some of us are calling ourselves new because we, we tear our trousers once or twice. Some of us are calling ourselves new because now we have a bass guitar and we rap sometimes. Woo, radical. But as long as you follow traditions, you can wear skinny jeans and be traditional. You can wear, you can wear uh, cool hats on the pulpit whilst you're playing the guitar and still be guilty of living by the traditions of your fathers because you did not take the time to see what the book actually said. So you can build your whole life, build this whole ministry around one man. Where's Pastor Ferdy? We can't have church without Pastor Ferdy. He needs to be here because we need the pastor. Where's the pastor? Oh, the pastor is running for government. What's the pastor doing? We need the pastor. And you don't need the pastor. You need the Holy Ghost. Because if you had the Holy Ghost, you could have church where the pastor was there or pastor was gone. But tradition has taught you that you need a man. You need a person. You need, you need somebody there. And of course, we do. Don't get me wrong. Somebody needs to represent Christ on our behalf. But who said they needed to be a pastor? Who told you church needed to be on Sunday? See, I'm messing with some, some demons in this room. Wow, it's got to be on Sunday. <laughs> why, 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 why? Why is church on Sunday? But can I tell you, actually, in the olden days, church was not on Sunday? Can I tell you, church was on Friday and Saturday? Yeah. Can I tell you that a man called Constantine, who used to be a pagan worshiper, who used to worship the sun, decided that in order for him to gain favor with the church, he needed to move the church to Sunday? Tradition! But because you didn't take the time to read what the book actually said, you're doing what was passed off to you. 
I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with church on Sunday, but who said church needed to happen on Sunday? What happens if church happens on the Saturday when everybody's in the clubs? What happens if you were to get a nightclub and turn it into church? Oh, I lost half of you. The religious spirit's like... That's not how we do church. Church, church is going to... What am I, I going to do on Sunday? What am I going to do on Sunday? Well, well, the Bible says, I'm going to rest on the Sabbath. I'm going to rest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Sabbath. And you don't realize that the Bible says the Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man for the Sabbath. That's why Jesus, Jesus broke the rules. They say, well, you, you must rest on the Sabbath. So Jesus said, okay, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. Be healed in Jesus' name. They say, oh, oh, religious Why are you healing? It's Sunday. Healing is work. You're supposed to be resting on the Sabbath day. Jesus looked at them and he said, what's wrong with you people? Sabbath wasn't made for man, but man for the Sabbath. He found a rule worth breaking and he broke it. And that's why he's a leader. Because leaders break rules even when peer pressure tells them to conform. I'll leave you with this final illustration because I know, I know I've, I've got some religious spirits mad. So let me just go sit down. I'll leave you with this final illustration. One day I was in, when I, I live in England and so... Um, England is the Q capital of Europe. They queue for everything. Everything. So when I'm in Nigeria, you can imagine my hypertension when I'm in Nigeria on your roads and nobody's waiting to come into that. I'm like, my British spirit. What's going on? Why, 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 why? Freddie, why, well, that car's going to be close. Don't worry. There's an order to this chaos. And I, I'm from England where everybody's queuing, everybody's lining up, everybody's pretty, everybody's proper. In fact, in Britain, if you're going past somebody, you always apologize. You say, I'm sorry, is this seat taken? As if your presence warrants an apology for being present in the place. So one day I went on a date with my, with my wife, because me and my wife, we still date, you know. She's my girlfriend, you know. So I went on a date with my wife. And we're going to the cinema to watch a movie. And the, the queue is out to the door. Down the stairs, out to the door. I'm standing at the back. Everyone's getting angry because that's what British people like to do. They like to get angry. That's what most Africans like to do. They like to talk. Talk about, oh, you know, the problem with our policies today is ABC and PPP and ABC and DEF. Yeah, 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 the real problem, oh, hey, it's terrible, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I don't know what's going on. You mean, can you imagine they close the border? Ah, close the border. Which one? The south one, not the north one. The north one is still open. That's where all the corruption is coming. I knew it. I knew it, sir. Me, I was praying the other day and the Lord told me the same thing in the fast. That's what we do. We're at the back of the queue and we're arguing. That's all we're doing. Oh, who will change Nigeria? Nigeria will never change. It's the same. Can I tell you why Nigeria is never changing? Because it's waiting for one person to break the rules. One person breaks the rules, everybody breaks the rules. Have you ever noticed when you decide, and you, everybody's thinking, I need to jump this line, I need to jump this line. But all of a sudden, you jump the line, they're like, if he's jumping the line, I want to jump the line too. Well, they're jumping the line, I want to jump the line. Well, they're breaking, I want to break it too. 
All Nigeria is looking for is a church that will break the rules. All business is looking for is a business person that will break the rules. We call them disruptors. We are in the season of divine disruptors. And God is waiting for one of you to break the rules. Break it. So here, 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 here I am in the back of this queue. This is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm back of this queue. I said, come on, baby. Come, come, come. I'm tired of complaining. Everybody's huffing and puffing. And you just see them growling. Come, come. We walk up the stairs. We say, excuse me, excuse me. And people are just snarling at us. Ha, ha. I remember one British person, excuse me, there's a queue. I said, yep, I see that. Excuse me. And I walk past one. And, you know, sometimes the only, the best way to get past people who don't want you to get past them is to act like you're going somewhere even if you don't know where you're going. Come on now, help me with this. Sometimes you just got to act blind. You just got to point. Excuse me, I'm just going to... My friends over here, my... Uh, uh, excuse me. You, know, you just got to act like... Sometimes you just got to act like... Come on, sometimes you got to act like you know where you're going even if you don't know where... Excuse me, it's over there. My friends over there. Just over there. And you go. So I started moving. I was like, excuse me, excuse me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Over there. I'm just going over there. And I, and I, just, just, just there. And I got to the front of the line. And there were three kiosks open. Three. Trinity. And everybody was queuing behind one. And when one would open, they'd funnel off. Funnel off. I said, here lies the problem. <laughs> so I did the only logical thing I could do. I went behind the least full queue. And I stood behind it with my wife. And I said, babe, we can't do this. I said, don't worry, babe. <laughs> let, me give you, let me give you another strategy. Sometimes there are people behind you who will want to pull you back. And the best thing to do when they tap your shoulder is to pretend you never saw it. Because you know what they're going to say. You know why they're tapping your shoulder. So why are you looking back? This, excuse me. Excuse me. You're just like, hey, 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 babe, hey, babe. How you doing, babe? Just face the front. Just face the front. The Bible says to Joshua, turn not to the left or to the right. Be strong and very courageous. Just look on forward when they tap. Don't succumb to the peer pressure. And all of a sudden, can I tell you what happened? People started going, well, if he's doing it. Somebody lined up behind me. Somebody lined up behind them. Somebody lined up behind them. And can I tell you something? I changed the culture of a cinema by being willing to break the rules. If I could change the culture of a cinema, imagine what you can do to change the culture of a nation just by being willing to break the rules. Rise to your feet. We're done. We're out of here. Father, in the name of Jesus, just lift your hands right now. Spirit of God says, this is a disruptive generation. And the Lord says, I am raising up for the time that we are in Nigeria right now. Those who will disrupt legal systems, political systems, government systems. But the Lord says, I'm also raising up.
those that will disrupt the church systems. And I will raise up, says the Lord, for those bold enough and willing to move in my name, the resources to step ahead. But the Lord says, for those who stay on the sidelines, the Spirit of God says, I will cause a season of forced change to come upon you. For the Lord says, I want more for you than you want for yourself. And the Spirit of God says, this is going to be a season where I begin to cause a forcefully advancing kingdom to take place in Nigeria among a, a new generation. And the Lord says, I will raise up disruptor banks. I will raise up disruptor churches. I will raise up disruptor worship. I will raise up disruptive praise. I will raise up a sound in the earth that people of the old don't even recognize as worship anymore. And the Spirit of God says it will be said of that generation that they came unto their own and their own received them not. But to as many as did receive, I gave the power to become sons of God. And the Lord says, the Spirit of God says, if I can cause you to be prophetic, I can break you free from the predictable. And the Lord says, I can break you free in such a way that it will cause you to be a leader of a forcefully advancing army because you were, be, you were one that was willing to be the first to take first step and first action for me. And the Lord says, this is going to be a time where I even begin to raise up the Rahabs. And Rahab was a prostitute. We know that in the scripture. But the Bible says that she was considered righteous for what she did. The Spirit of God says in this nation, I am going to raise up those whose reputation has been tarnished like that of Rahab's. And because they were willing to break the rules, I will consider them righteous, says the Lord. And the Spirit of God says, I will do such a new the earth and I will do such a new thing concerning Nigeria that the Lord says there will be a groundswell that I will cause to rise among a, a rule breaking generation and the Lord says no longer will you pump the brakes at the edge of destiny because you're looking at the pressure of what is around you and you're listening to the voices of that which had passed itself off as rules and traditions and regulations. But the Lord says, I will even cause a people that will raise their children differently than how they were raised. And the Lord says, you will feel like lifting your hand to, to hit the child like your parent hit you. And you will hear my voice saying, not this child. This is not the way that I want you to raise them. And the Lord says, you will raise them, not the way your father raised you or your father's father raised you. You will raise them according to my Holy Spirit's instruction, says the Lord. The Lord says, in this season, I want to raise up disruptive parents. And I want to raise up, says the Spirit of God, those who have the voice of my spirit, to hear my word for a Samson generation and train them in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And the Lord says, I will show myself forth as the God of crazy ideas inside of this generation. And the Lord says, some of you will write movies. Some of you will write plays. Some of you will write scripts. Some of you will write books. And religion will tell you, put Jesus in it. But the new wineskin will tell you, hide Jesus in it. 
and the Spirit of God says there will be a new generation that will take over marketplace positions and territories and I will cause some to work with the church but yet I will cause others to work with pharaohs and I will cause others to work with Nebuchadnezzar's and I will cause others to work with Muslim sultans and they will say these people are selling themselves out these people are robbing themselves just for money and I will say they are not a sellout generation they are a disruptor generation says the Lord father right now in the name of Jesus you led Israel out through a prostitute a prophet. You let Israel in through a prostitute. You are the God of the unconventional. You are the God of the new. I declare in this atmosphere as your prophet, new means new. Old has passed away. And I declare it's time to forget the former things. For the Lord says, you are now of age and I am releasing you as a fresh commissioning of my spirit right now. Father, we declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.